Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends and neighbors. It's about 8.30 in the morning in our nation's capital on this December 9. A good time to reflect on the big news of the week and breaking news this morning with three of Washington's top political reporters. Well, history was made yesterday on three fronts in Congress, where the House joined the Senate in passing landmark bipartisan legislation endorsing same-sex marriage, which will soon get the president's signature. More history made in Congress, where Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema announced that she was leaving the Democratic Party to become an independent. And history made at the White House, where President Biden announced a prisoner swap with Russia, resulting in the release of American basketball star Brittany Griner. All of that comes just two days after history was also made in Georgia, where Pastor Raphael Warnock won a full six-year term, soundly defeating Donald Trump's hand-picked candidate Herschel Walker, and Republican rats started abandoning Trump's sinking political ship. Meanwhile, Kevin McCarthy is still trying to count to 218, but he can't quite get there yet and may never. Here today to make uh, some sense of it all, help us make some sense of it all, from NBC News Digital senior congressional reporter Scott Wong. Hello, Scott. Hello, Bill. Washington Bureau Chief of the Christian Science Monitor, Linda Feldman. Hi, Linda. Hi, Bill. And welcome back to both of you, and also a big welcome back to Editor-in-Chief of CQ Roll Call and host of the Political Theater Podcast, Jason Dick. Hello, Jason. Good morning. So, uh, I don't know about you, but I went to bed last night thinking we were going to start with Brittany Griner, and then I wake up to the Kristen Cinema news, uh, So, or Kirsten Cinema. So, Scott, uh, does this really come as any surprise that she would change parties? I mean, I think it's still pretty stunning news. I mean, like you, Bill, I went to bed thinking that we were going to be talking about a lot of other stories that happened this week. Turn on my phone and, you know, just text message after text message and news alert. Uh, It's still a pretty, pretty stunning uh, sight to see anytime you see somebody leaving uh, one of the major political parties. But as you mentioned, we have been hearing a, for a very long time about a, a potential primary challenger for cinema from the left, given that she has uh, become one of the, the most moderate, you would even say conservative members of the Democratic Party in Washington. And uh, we, we knew that there are people trying to recruit uh, Ruben Gallego, the, the liberal congressman who also hails from Phoenix and, and has been a rival and, you know, a rival of cinema at times throughout their careers. Uh, there has been a big effort to try to get him to rec- uh, challenge her in the primary in 2024. 
And uh, he was taking, he continues to take a hard look at that. So now I think, you know, all eyes are sort of on Ruben Gallego. What What is his play? Cinema has made her move. What does Ruben do now? Uh, yeah, I must say that on this podcast, uh, uh, Congressman Gallego told us that he was very seriously thinking about um, challenging her. That was be- long before this this announcement. But uh, Jason, what real impact will this have? Is this a body blow to Democrats or does it really change anything in terms of the working of the Senate? I think that we need to see where she's going to caucus first. Uh, I mean, she, you know, she avoided in in her comments to CNN and in her follow up op ed in the Arizona Republic, she didn't explicitly say that she was going to caucus with Democrats as Bernie Sanders and Angus King, who are also independents, caucus with the Democrats. So this this matters, um, you know, with in, in regard to the, you know, how the Senate is organized, the you know the the current power sharing structure at a 50-50 Senate uh, is is something that uh, sort of, it, it doesn't let the Democrats who control the chamber with the vice president's tie-breaking vote uh, marginally, uh, it, it doesn't give them a lot of leeway in, in terms of getting people, controversial nominees to the floor uh, easily, if there's a tie vote in committee, in, in instigating their own investigations, things like that. So if cinema stays in the in the Democratic caucus, uh, like Sanders and King, then it won't have a lot of practical effects because the, the Democrats will be able mm-hmm. to organize on those 5149 measures. If she leaves uh, entirely and becomes a caucus of one, like we heard <laughs> Evan McMullen might do if he had won in Utah, then then that obviously jams Republic or uh, Democrats pretty uh, pretty substantially if they want to do things a little differently than they did the last two years. Yeah, and Linda, I must say I find the timing of her announcement rather curious. Uh, clearly, she waited until the runoff was over, right? And Democrats mm-hmm. are celebrating. Boy, now we're really in power, like one step forward. And now she's saying, uh uh, not so fast, right? Right. No, I mean, I've gone through since in the what two hours since this news broke, <laughs> I've, gone, I've gone through uh, many cycles of, of how to look at this. First, it was holy cow. I mean, I flashed on Jim Jeffords of Vermont, right. uh, yeah. leaving the Republican Party, becoming a Democrat, flipping the control of the Senate. That was obviously huge to thinking. Oh wait, she's she's not going to caucus with the Republicans. Uh, she told Politico, um, "What also supposedly won't attend Democratic caucus meetings anymore." But she really does that now anyway. So I thought, okay, big deal, not such a big deal. Now I'm somewhere in the middle. So she, in a way, <laughs> she's formalizing where she's always been, which is a wild card. You never know what she's going to do. Uh, but but. We also have to highlight the ways in which she has been constructive. She was obviously instrumental in the same-sex marriage legislation. Um, she's been an interlocutor uh, with Tom Tillis on immigration, mm-hmm. uh, and is uh, you know in in many ways emblematic of where the American electorate is heading overall. I mean, independents are the biggest party in this country, uh, the fastest-growing party. Uh, more Americans identify as independent than with either party. Now, that's not to say that most Americans do lean one way or the other. Most independents do, if not affiliate with one of the one of the two major parties. Mm-hmm. But um, she's just sort of put a put a, uh, a 
big flashing sign of where she's always been. So yeah. we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. Now, um, there is also one other little bit of breaking no, I would say a little bit of breaking news today, which is a leak from the January 6th committee. Uh, they are going to, and the members of the committee are going to meet virtually uh, this weekend on Sunday. Uh, and according to Politico and CNN, uh, they are considering filing criminal referrals to the Justice Department, criminal referrals for Mark Meadows, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, Rudy Giuliani, and Donald Trump. I mean, Jason, we've come to trust leaks around Washington, but if this happens, that's, I mean, that's huge, right? I mean, it, it, it is, but I also think that, you know, particularly, you know, we, we have an independent counsel who has taken over the Trump investigations yeah. for the Justice Department. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, I would think that, you know, uh, th this information, the information that they forward uh, is probably already in the possession of the Justice Department. So while it is, you know, relatively you know, unprecedented for something like this to happen. Um, you know, it, the, the, again, the practical effect may be, uh, a little, a little less because it seems like the, you know, the justice department is not really, uh, waiting for anybody now, <laughs> as yeah, we saw right. earlier this week when, yeah. when, when they asked a, a, a federal judge, uh, here in, in DC to hold, uh, the, somebody on the Trump team to be, uh, custodian of records to be named later i guess uh in contempt of court uh, of court so i mean I, I think this is a big deal that that there is that is going to be a criminal referral because we saw that they were a little hesitant some members of the committee weren't all that jazzed about it earlier this year but that that would be a big step in an escalation uh and it's unclear though if they'll if if that will add or just supplement, I guess, the legal jeopardy that the president and his team are under. Uh, in other words, maybe somewhat redundant to what the Department of Justice is already doing, right? But, so, yeah, I would think, yeah. So, Scott, um, one thing that this is pretty clear, though, I mean, maybe this means the committee will end with a bang, but the reality is this committee has gone out of business, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and they have said that over and over that at the end of this year, uh, their time expires. Um, you know, we go into the new Congress and because this is a select committee and Republicans will be taking over control of the House, they will not be renewing the lease for uh, the <laughs> January 6th committee. Yeah. Uh, in fact, some of the Republicans have said we are going to investigate the January 6th <laughs> investigators. So right. yeah. um, uh, we, we may be in a very unique uh, situation here. Um, you know, I, I caught up with Benny Thompson yesterday. Uh, he himself and a bunch of reporters did. He himself has been saying throughout this week that uh, we will have criminal referrals, even as there was a debate unfolding behind the scenes among committee members and staffers about whether to even go down that path. Well, he's the chairman and he said it publicly mm -hmm. to about 20 reporters. And so it, it, you know, it became fact they are going down that path. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, this was news to me that you mentioned the specific names, but, um, you know, I think we already know that there is a, a huge investigation over at DOJ, FBI. We know that uh, there is um, the the special uh, counsel who has been put in place. 
Benny Thompson said specifically that he will, you know, he has not sat down with the special counsel. He has not communicated with the special counsel. But uh, whenever uh, he does reach out to the chairman and the January 6th committee, they uh, will be cooperating and, and helping them out the best they can. Yeah, they'll have a lot of information for him. So, uh, Linda, it, it seems like a long time ago. It was just 24 hours ago that we woke up to another great big bit of breaking news. The president of the United States uh, in the Roosevelt Room making an announcement that a lot of Americans were thrilled to hear. Here's President Biden. Moments ago, standing together with her wife, Sherelle, uh, in the Oval Office, I spoke with Brittany Griner. She's safe. She's on a plane. She's on her way home. Linda, big deal for Joe Biden, uh, not not to mention for Brittany Griner and her wife. Exactly. No, this is the deal we've been anticipating for quite some time. Uh, I know they wanted to get Paul Whelan, um, an American uh, who was over there, uh, mm-hmm. f- former for, military guy. For four for, years. For, for four yeah. years, right, for longer. Um, they, they could only only get Brittany Griner out. Um, it's, it's a big, uh, it's a big plus for Joe Biden. That's, it's a, the initial headline is obviously very, very positive. She's finally out. Uh, but there's, it's, it's complicated because Victor Boot is, uh, not a, not a good guy to put it mildly. I mean, he's been, uh, behind bars for over a decade in Marion, Illinois. Uh, he's dubbed the merchant of death, famous, a uh, Russian arms trafficker uh, has sowed chaos on multiple comet, co- continents uh, with his arms dealings. Um, and so springing Victor Boot to get Brittany Greiner out is, uh, you know, conservative media are making hay out of that. But I think, uh, you know, for for Biden, this is this was a happy moment being able to make that statement uh, with Brittany Griner's wife standing there, uh, looking joyful. She's been a terrific advocate for Brittany Griner, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, law enforcement in this country wasn't happy about that justice department, but it's, you know, it was either that was the deal. It was either this deal or no deal. And it's better than nothing. Well, yeah. What, yeah. What's your take on that, Jason? I mean, there, as, as Linda points out, Maybe predictably, right? Kevin McCarthy, Donald Trump, um, I don't know, a whole host of others came out and and attacked the deal. Fox News did. Um, But if you're given a choice of getting her home or no deal at all, um, pretty tough choice to say no deal. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the Russians, you know, Russia is not the Washington nationals. They're not going to trade something (laughs) of value for nothing. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, they, they will expect a high value uh, prospect, not, not just high value prospect, but an act, something of actual value. And, you know, this is a tough call, obviously, you know, somebody, somebody like boot is, is, is truly like a terrible person, you know, in, in, in world history. But what happened to Griner was, you know, really unfair, total kangaroo court, you know, kind of maneuver, you know, engineered to, you know, probably specifically to get boot out uh, because, you know, she had like some some CBD oil resin, you know, in something Mm -hmm. in her bag. I mean, just an absolutely outsized uh, punishment. The Russians knew that that this would attract a lot of attention. And, you know, this is always the case in these, you know, in these sort of swaps, whether they're for 
you know, spies or criminals or, you know, it, you know, something like that. It, it just, it's, it never feels good to release somebody uh, like boot, but this is a win, you know, like it, it, it is, is far preferable than having, you know, her rotting away in a Siberian gulag for the next nine years. Yeah. And I must say that for those of you who saw uh, the president's remarks, he spent a lot of time in his remarks, not just celebrating the return of Brittany Griner, but um, recommitting himself uh, to the getting to the release of Paul Whelan and said that they really pushed to get both. They just couldn't this time, but he hasn't given up on that. But I want to move now to the big other big news out of Congress. Uh, yesterday, Scott, uh, in the House, the House in a pretty big bipartisan vote, 39 Republicans joining Democrats to vote for the Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, so, Scott, this is a very unusual bipartisan measure in the Senate and the House that a few years ago we never thought a bill like this would pass. How do you read it? What happened and how did it pass so with such bipartisan support and why? Well, it had a pretty, uh, you know, long and winding path through the Congress. And, and obviously, uh, you know, this started after the Roe v. Wade decision uh, uh, earlier this summer where the Supreme Court overturned uh, mm-hmm. abortion rights. And people started to say, well, if something like that can be overturned, then, you know, what about same-sex marriage? What about other uh, you know, constitutional protections. And so there was a, a real bipartisan push on the Hill uh, this past summer to enshrine federal protections for same-sex marriages, for marriages between interracial couples. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't create, uh, you know, this uh, a, a sort of blanket uh, protection. What it does, uh, this same-sex marriage bill, is is basically say that uh, if if uh, that all states need to recognize same sex marriages that are uh, you know that are carried out in in other states states like right. California so Kansas has to recognize what happens in California Texas must recognize what happens in Maryland etc uh, you know Barney Frank was uh, it also repeals the <laughs> Defense of Marriage Act you saw yesterday Barney Frank was on the floor he was uh, you know around the Capitol celebrating with members. He said, I was there for the birth of the uh, Defense of Marriage Act. I'm here for the funeral. And he described (laughs) it as sort of a New Orleans funeral with with a big celebration and, you know, marching bands, you can imagine. Um, But this was, yeah, this was a a big uh, bipartisan win. There were fewer Republicans this time who supported uh, mm-hmm. This bill, uh, just 39 versus uh, when they passed it in the House over the summer, 47. Mm. So there there had been some who had peeled off. But uh, overall, this is a, a big win for for, uh, you know, for folks backing same sex marriage and uh, for President Biden, who is who is going to sign this very shortly. Linda, it was also a big win for the speaker. She said that this might be the proudest moment of her speakership. You could hear that in her voice as she announces the vote. On this vote, the yeas are 258, the nays are 169, present one. The motion is adopted. Then she heard beating the gavel there like she was applauding with the gavel. This this was a, uh, a big moment for Speaker Pelosi, Linda. 
Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, she represents a district uh, in San Francisco, obviously a, a key hub of, uh, of gay America. And uh, it, it's a nice kind of uh, moment for her in her final days as speaker to preside over this. Uh, this new law, the, and we'll, I'm sure we'll have a very big signing ceremony at the White House. This is also big for Joe Biden. I mm-hmm. mean, you'll recall yep. that he he came yeah. out in favor of same-sex marriage before the president <laughs> he was serving under, Barack Obama. Uh, so I think it's you know a happy moment in, in many corners. Yeah, good point to remember that. <laughs> and, and Bill, I, I think yeah, that Jason, another, there's Jason. another there's another uh, bit of news this week, uh, or, or oh, just yeah. in a few days, that sort of encapsulates the framing of of mm-hmm. like this of this law, the defense of marriage on one hand in the '90s, and and the respect for marriage, and that's the death of former Congressman Jim Colby of Arizona. Yeah, I mean, Colby yeah. was a Republican, uh, a fairly moderate Republican. He was closeted. Uh, it was sort of an open secret in Arizona that he was gay uh, for for many years. Uh, the, uh, some gay a, a gay publication uh, threatened to out him uh, over his vote in favor of the Defense of Marriage mm-hmm. Act, and, mm-hmm. and he came out. And his last few years were uh, he w- he was open. Uh, he got married. Uh, he and and you know he he died just a few days ago on December third at, at age eighty. But I think that that shows. I mean, like you know, Barney Frank was there all along. You know, right. ra- you know, railing against the Defense of Mar- Marriage Act, and then there at the Capitol. But Colby shows, I think, the the way that a lot of people uh, have evolved on the issue, and how this is this is now something that the reason that it it had such bipartisan support is that this you know this is not an issue that, se- that it seems like we're going to go back on. Yeah, no, very, very good point. And Colby uh, said many times that he regretted his vote uh, for the Defense of Marriage Act and uh, uh, and said that was a big mistake on his part. Well, lots more news to get to. Let's take a quick break here and get to the rest of the news of the week with today's panel. Jason Dick from CQ Roll Call into Feldman, the Christian Science Monitor, and Scott Wong from NBC News Digital. Today's uh, roundtable brought to you, uh, actually, uh, this is our last call, folks, for the Carol Press Scarves. You've heard me talk about Carol Scarves before. It is the holiday season. It is cold. You need a good scarf, hand-woven scarf, to keep yourself warm or as a great gift for someone you love. No better gift, no better way to celebrate the holidays. Uh, Each of Carol Scarves scarves is hand-woven. Rayon chenille or bamboo, each of them is a work of art. So check out her website at carolpressscarves.com. But Carol asked me to remind you all that to get them in the mail, to get them in time to you, uh, you got to move quickly. December 14 is the absolute drop-dead deadline for getting scarves in the mail. So the sooner you move, the better. Check out Carol's website. Beautiful designs and colors for you to choose from, carolpressscarves.com. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. 
a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with today's roundtable. Our guest from CQ Roll Call, host of the Political Theater Podcast, Jason Dick, Washington Bureau Chief of the Christian Science Monitor, Linda Feldman, and joining us from NBC News Digital Senior Congressional Reporter, Scott Wong. So, yeah, there was this um, <laughs> this little runoff earlier in the week. <laughs> We've sort of moved on from that. Uh, but, um, Jason, we cannot... Um, th- this was huge, even though Democrats always had already had 50. Getting 51 was really important. Absolutely. I mean, as, as we discussed a little earlier, being having 51 votes enables them to uh, have an actual working majority, a, a majority uh, in committees. So you know, there will be, you know, ostensibly fewer tie votes. Uh, sh- you know, Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, can bring legislation a little easier to the floor. Uh, can process nominees. It, it makes you know having fifty-one votes uh, makes uh, makes things a lot clearer uh, for them. And also, I mean this this is a uh, you know this is a big deal in terms of like just political history too. This this marks like the first time that you know a, an incumbent president didn't lose anyone from mm-hmm. his own party uh, in, in the Senate since the '30s. Right. Uh, you know it, it's in, in Georgia. You know the like Democrats didn't have a great. Um, election night in in Georgia, except here, you know, Warnock was an exceptional candidate, uh, and 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 Walker Herschel Walker was not <laughs> an exceptional candidate, um, but but the Democrats will take the win. Mm-hmm. That's about as polite as you can put it there <laughs> for for Herschel Walker. Um, Scott, we've uh, you've been up close to uh, Senator Warnock, um, and uh, let me just pay a quick. A bite from this is the senator's part of his acceptance speech uh, Tuesday night, speaking about his mom who was in the audience. To my mother who is here tonight, she grew up in the 1950s in Waycross, Georgia, picking somebody else's cotton and somebody else's tobacco. But tonight, she helped pick her youngest son to be a United States senator. You know, uh, Cory Booker yesterday, Scott, said that Raphael Warnock, and uh, he knows both the poetry and the prose of politics, right? So uh, it, it seems to me we're going to be hearing a lot more from Raphael Warnock uh, in national politics. Do you agree, Scott? I mean, the guy is just an incredible speaker, and I guess it, it helps, uh, you know, when you yourself are a preacher and have been speaking in <laughs> yeah. front of audiences your entire life and uh, at churches. 
Uh, clearly, he's very comfortable, uh, you know, communicating his message. And that message, this cycle, and was essentially, you know, look, I support liberal democratic policies. Uh, and you saw the work that Democrats got done with the Inflation Reduction Act and uh, COVID relief uh, mm-hmm. and, and a number of other issues. Uh, but he also, uh, you know, had was able to appeal to folks in the center, right? So it, it wasn't one or the other. He was able to appeal to a, a broad swath of voters. And I think clearly that that was the difference in his race with uh, Herschel Walker, where Herschel Walker just went, you know, full, full, you know, full to all the way to the right, uh, embraced Donald Trump uh, and never was able to pivot back to the middle. And, uh, you know, I think Democrats have um, a model now for how to win in, in a place like Georgia, because Warnock has done it, uh, now four times. Uh, and so, uh, they, they know what works. Democrats know what works. Warnock knows what works. And that's certainly going to help them heading into 2024. Boy, if anybody deserves a six year break, it's Raphael Warnock. Right? <laughs> exactly. But Linda, the votes weren't even counted before the blame game began, right? Republicans blaming other Republicans. Uh, here was one example uh, Senator Mike Braun from uh, Indiana. By the way, when he made this statement, he was standing in front of Rick Scott, <laughs> very uncomfortable. Rick Scott, who was in charge of the Senate. Uh, re-election efforts uh, and didn't do so well. Again, Senator Braun. Candidate quality does count. And then you could never have anything that's going to resonate generally if there's not a clear plan of what you're for. We are basically for nothing and we complain about it along the way and then say, well, maybe we'll tell you after we're uh, elected. It's not going to work. And we're going to keep seeing the same results if we don't do something different. So, Linda, is this finally the break with Donald Trump? Well, I mean, with Donald Trump, never say never. But I, I was going to say, so this is so uh, Raphael Warnock showed how it could be done in a state that is still kind of red, a little bit red, purplish yeah. red. I mean, if Donald Trump continues to pick the Republican candidates going forward, then the Democrats are going to control every seat. But that's not happening. Donald Trump uh, had his head handed to him. After the midterms, if you look at the entirety with all the seats that they could have won and didn't because he elevated candidates who were wholly unsuited to the party's nomination and the voters rejected them. So I think Democrats have to count their lucky stars that that Trump did that for them. But going forward, I don't know. I mean, is this the is is Donald Trump sliding into uh, retirement? I don't know. Uh, but mm-hmm. this was, yeah, this was for sure a, a gift to the Democrats that he did. You know, he's a bored old man. Uh, you know, I, and we have to talk also about the, the chairmanship of the Republican party. I mean, Ronna McDaniel is running again, but she's yeah. had a series yeah. of defeats. I right. mean, really, she's, can she really remain as party chair after three bad cycles in a row? Uh, it looks like it. I don't see any serious. <laughs> I don't see any serious competition, which is hard there's to no, believe. Yeah, there's been no no viable challenger to step forward. Lee Zeldin announced this week that he was not going to challenge yeah. her, although he did call for change at the top right. and largely blamed uh, Ronnie McDaniel. Uh, it, so you know, no nobody has has stepped forward to take her on yet. 
It's amazing. I, I, lo- I love Zeldin's release on it too, because I mean, you know, here, here's a guy, I mean, he fell short in his own campaign against Kathy Hochul for the governorship, but you know, New York Republicans had a great election cycle. Yep. I mean, they, yep. they were able to knock off, you yep. know, they've flipped several house seats. Um, and here's, here's a guy who, you know, is, is young and, and pretty aggressive. And, and he's just saying, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to take her on because this thing is, is pre-baked, you know, she's already, you know, figured yeah. this all out. And it's, you know, it's not a great sign when the people who keep, who lose, keep on staying in leadership positions. Right. Pre-baked because the members of the RNC all voted for her, right? Without even thinking, it seems to me. But Jason, I want to, I want to tee this up for you. Okay. And, and, and picking up on Linda's point about, um, and Scott's point too, about Democrats showed how to win maybe in a state purple state like this. Um, here is Sean Hannity saying, here's what Republicans didn't get. I think Republicans have been unwilling, for whatever reason, reluctant, resistant, to voting early and voting by mail. Uh, Jason. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. Is exactly. Who told them not to vote by mail? Who said that voting by mail was fraudulent, was illegal, and ought to be banned, right? It's it's uh, this this may be one of the more significant cracks uh, in in Donald Trump's armor, because if he loses Hannity, if he loses Tucker Carlson, you know, that that's the thing that where that's what he probably fears the most. You know, he's obviously not afraid of people like Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell, even though they've both taken different approaches to how they deal with him. He is afraid of losing the TV audience because that's, you know, let's face it, guy watches a lot of TV. And, and feels like he understands uh, that television is going to be a big part of what he does. So if if uh, if he's losing that part, you know, he, he's got to be concerned. Uh, and I, I would love to have seen if there was a conversation between him and Hannity anytime uh, over this. I, I don't know. Maybe this is one of those things where Hannity's not taking his calls anymore. Well, I must say, I've made this point before. I remember when I was Democratic state chair of California, we always considered the absentee ballot vote, that's what we called it, voting by mail, a Republican stronghold. They were best at it. They were very good at it. And then we had to get out to vote Democrats on election day to make up for that vote by mail. And then Trump just pulled the rug, the legs out from under them, if you will. And we remember at one point, Kevin McCarthy went to Donald Trump and said, no, this is the wrong message. We need to have vote by mail. Uh, but Trump wouldn't wouldn't change. So speaking of Republican leader, <laughs> speaker wannabe McCarthy, Scott, what's the vote count? <laughs> still, McCarthy is still short of the 218 votes he needs on the House floor on that first vote of the new Congress, which will take place on January 3rd. Uh, this small, small group of conservatives, including Matt Gates uh, and Bob Good of Virginia, uh, are sticking together. They're saying they are not going to support McCarthy, and, and that's a problem because McCarthy can only afford to lose four votes uh, because of that very, very narrow majority that the Republicans have heading into the new Congress. And so really just five Republicans can deny McCarthy the speaker's gavel. It's really incredible. Uh, 
you know, there is a lot of just speculation and chatter on the Hill. There's talk about what happens if this, if McCarthy can't get to 218 on that first ballot, then uh, they have to keep voting over and over until they (laughs) figure out who who they'll settle on for speaker. And we haven't gone into multiple ballots in exactly one century, a hundred years. Oh my God. Uh, In, 1855 and before the Civil War, there were 133 ballots uh, because they and it went on for two months and they couldn't seat the Congress until they settled on the Speaker of the House. This is a reporter's dream, Bill. Uh, (laughs) Well, so I have to ask you, Scott, I want to ask each of you actually start, Scott, with you. Do you believe today if the vote were held today, would McCarthy become speaker? Honestly, Bill, I have gone back and forth over this question, yeah. and I cannot make up my mind. I think there's a lot of gravitational forces that are pulling in McCarthy's direction. He's starting to name select committee chairman, yeah. uh, handing out, you know, promising various committee positions. That's not so a there's vote. a lot of yeah. people that have mm-hmm. things riding on a McCarthy speakership. Okay. Uh, Jason? Uh, in addition to the four that Scott mentioned that have said absolutely no way, no how, right? There are seven members of the Freedom Caucus uh, in a, on top of those four, right, who issued a letter yesterday saying these are the things that have to happen if, if for anybody to get our vote. So what's your take? Will he become speaker? And um, if not, who? <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, I would say that he will become speaker. Um, I, I think that he'll... He will promise them um, ownership of large chunks of the moon, you know, if he thinks that it will get him. <laughs> he already uh, has. Their vote. <laughs> right. Um, but one way that like we've, we've seen people wiggle out of their commitment to vote against uh, a, a particular speaker uh, is is to simply vote present or yeah oh yeah a, a few years back Jeff Van Drew when he was a Democrat he said he wouldn't you know vote for Pelosi mm-hmm. and he voted no uh, no was not on the ballot uh, so the the clerk recorded that uh, in 2019 as as a as a present vote or or not voting uh, mm-hmm. vote so there is it's a possible that by by if we have enough abstentions from these folks, that that would lower the, uh, the the number that McCarthy would have to get to be elected, and and enable him to to win the speakership with you know two hundred and fourteen votes or two hundred and thirteen votes. We're a long way from that. I mean, yeah. as 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 Scott said, you know, like this is a reporter's dream. You know, like that that and and we're there's going to be a lot of. Uh, back and forth, but right now that that seems to me a, a viable path for McCarthy is just having people just not vote, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 we'll see if we're there because there isn't like there's no alternative candidate at this point. Well, that's Linda. I was going to ask you that. I mean, first of all, your take on whether or not you think he makes it, and uh, if not, I mean, is it Steve Scalise? Is it Elaine Stefanik? I mean, Jim Jordan? Who the hell would it be? So I so I don't cover the hill, but my hunch is that he does make it. That Kevin McCarthy is a so people think he's not all that bright, but hey, he's where he is, and you don't you're not you can't be completely dumb to be this close to the speakership um, and be <laughs> completely out of it. So I I think he makes it. I think he promises whatever he has to do, including reinstate the motion to vacate, which is this 
provision in party rules that would allow any member of the House to force a vote to oust the speaker. So maybe he any put time. that back in and at any time. So let's, so I'm going to say that he does that, 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 that that's back and they allow him to be speaker, but that he is walking a tightrope uh, from day one in fear of, of a motion to vacate, which could end his speakership at any time and which would allow his opponents to line up support for somebody else. Okay, on the record, I want to go on the record as saying what, that I've been saying for a year that Kevin McCarthy will never be Speaker of the House of Representatives. Um, and if I had to guess who it might be, I think it'll be Steve Scalise, whom I see standing by with a Cheshire Cat grin on his face. And I noticed, uh, and Jason and Scott, you probably know, in an interview this week, Steve Scalise would not deny the possibility that he might be the one they turn to if after several ballots, at least Kevin McCarthy hasn't made it. So, I, um, yeah, I, I think that say, I mean, we, we really, yeah, <laughs> we really are in a silly season right now. And you know, even with, even if even if Scalise had denied it, you know, if if somebody says like you're the only one, I, I don't think he's going to walk <laughs> away from it. Uh, but but we are we, we are going to see some high class groveling uh, in the next few weeks uh, from. Uh, and, and it's, it's going to be a really interesting, uh, you know, few weeks and January 3rd, I mean, put it on the calendar. It, it, this is going to be one of the more fascinating speaker elections, I I think in a long time. Well, it is, as Scott says, a reporter's dream. Uh, it's a round table dream too. So we'll be talking about it for a lot of Fridays from now on. Uh, oh, great job guys. Great job. And a lot to talk about this week. Uh, big thanks to Scott Wong and Linda Feldman and Jason Dick. And as always, with everything going on as fast as things are moving, there's still one story that kind of stops you and says, holy crap, uh, how about that? Makes you laugh or weep or applaud or whatever. Uh, your favorite story of the week. Where do we start? Linda. So, so much so much to talk about. Okay. My favorite, my favorite story is Max Frost, uh, yes. <laughs> the incoming, uh, 25 year old first Gen Z member of Congress. Uh, he had applied to rent an apartment in Washington because he's yeah. about to be a member of Congress and he was turned down because his credit was bad. So first of all, I'm, I'm guessing that he didn't pull the line, do you know who I am? Which is which is such a Washington thing to do that a lot of people do and which I hate. So I'm guessing that he didn't do that. And he was just another guy trying to rent an apartment. Max Frost is in massive debt because he was busy running for Congress. He was driving an Uber, driving Uber to make ends meet, but still went into massive debt because he was running for Congress. And so now the, the, the offers are flooding in and I'm, I'm sure... Uh, Congressman Frost will, will have a place to live soon enough. It does. It, it was really kind of sad, right? But it does show that for young people today, almost yeah. anywhere in the country, right? It's tough to find a, 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 a house to buy or an apartment to rent. I yeah. know. Even with, you know, he's about to have an annual salary of over 170000 You'd think that'd be good enough for somebody. Even if you're a member of Congress, yeah. And, and he'll have to watch the gifting rules because he can't, <laughs> you can't really, you know, you can't, if you, he can't be gifted a couch <laughs> to, to, to stay on because no. that's a thing of value offered to a public official. So he's, he's a little caught here. He's going to have to probably sleep in his office for a little while. Let's have a GoFundMe campaign. I don't know. <laughs> Scott, what caught your attention? 
Well, I'm going to tell a personal story here, and, uh, and right. hopefully and we will uh, end where we sort of started with Kirsten Cinema. I have known uh, cinema for more than a decade, going back to my years uh, covering uh, the Arizona State House and Phoenix City Hall for the Arizona Republic. I hope I haven't told this story to you before, Bill. But I haven't heard it. No. She, uh, you know, one day when I'm covering the Arizona legislature, I, I get a, uh, an invitation for coffee. Uh, and this was an invitation from a, a little known state lawmaker known as Kirsten Cinema. And, uh, you know, we had we had a great talk at that time. Uh, it was the first time a lawmaker had ever in, you know, invited me to sit down. And I was a fairly new reporter. And but it just sort of struck me that, uh, you know, the, the folks who, um, you know, make a proactive effort to try to get to know reporters, to reach out to reporters, uh, you know, those are the people that are going places. And I, I learned that starting with cinema and have seen it over the years. Uh, and sure enough, you know, I, you know, she went to Congress. I, I followed her to Congress. She she uh, rose through the through the ranks and ended up in the United States Senate. But whenever I you know whenever I see a new lawmaker arrive on Capitol Hill and uh, you know express interest and want to sit down and and get to know me, I know those are the people that are generally going places and and uh, probably will end up in leadership one day. And mm-hmm. I learned that lesson, uh, you know from Kirsten Cinema herself. So uh, we, we okay. go back a, a, a long ways. Well, someday you'll have to tell us about the names of all the other <laughs> <laughs> politicians who might have invited you for coffee and where they are today. How about it, Jason? You have a, a Hollywood, uh, a, an old movie story to tell us today? No, this is no. this is an old old stadium story. Oh, um, yes. You know, yes. R, so RFK Stadium, uh, I, you know, as, as some of you may know, I, I live uh, on in Hill East, uh, uh, which is the eastern fringes of, of Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C. And, you know, I, I when I first moved here, the you know, it was a moribund uh, stadium, except for the D- D.C. United and then the Nationals played there for a few years. And it's just become this sort of sad, uh, big concrete donut, <laughs> concrete and stone donut that's just sort of falling apart. Well, uh, th- there was a big sort of there's a story in The Washington Post uh, that ran in the print section today online a little earlier about how the their the. DC has begun demolition of the stadium itself. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're, they're selling the chairs inside and, you know, people like Doug Williams, former, you know, quarterback and Bill Hamid, you know, DC United were there uh, talking about their memories. And, and of course it's just not a DC story unless it gets complicated with federal and local ownership too, because <laughs> we've got this crazy situation where, you know, the, the, the DC, you know, RFK stadium, what was originally DC stadium, was really the first of these big multi-purpose sports stadiums uh, to be built in the country, and you know it's outlived its purpose. It is it is on its way out. So the DC is demolishing it. But here's the rub: is that city owns the structure, but the federal government owns the land underneath the structure. <laughs> <laughs> so we need an act of Congress uh, t- in order to to clarify. Oh, what they can build there afterwards. So as usual, we're sort of moving forward on things without a clear sense of where they're going uh, in in Washington. And it's it's you know it's there's some nostalgia there for sure. Uh, it's time for RFK Stadium to go, uh, but it's also it, the story may be just beginning because who knows what's going to take its place. Well, it hits home, Jason, because Carol 
uh, came back from her jog this morning. <laughs> I was having a bite of breakfast, and she said, do you think we should buy one of the seats from RFK Stadium? <laughs> <laughs> a mere $400. <laughs> there it is. So my favorite story of the week, I, I do love the Maxwell Frost story uh, also, Linda. Um, but I had to laugh with uh, Sean Spicer on December 7, which, of course, we all a mark as the anniversary of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor that prompt, uh, propelled the United States into World War II. On December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, Sean Spicer put out a big tweet, and the tweet said, Today is D-Day. <laughs> we have to teach the next generation about sacrifice. Well, <laughs> uh, I would suggest that if you're going to teach the next generation about sacrifice, first of all, you should know your history D-Day, of course, is June the 6th. He's also uh, a former naval, he's a naval reserve officer. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, but I just thought, right, the dumbest person ever to serve as press secretary for the White House. And he proves it uh, once again. So there we go. Hey, a great big thank you again. Scott Wong, you can find him on NBC News Digital, where he's senior congressional correspondent. Linda Feldman, covering the White House and Washington Bureau Chief for the Christian Science Monitor. Jason Dick, Editor-in-Chief, CQ Roll Call, host of the Political Theater Podcast. Thank you to our panelists. Thank you all for joining us today. Have a great weekend, and then come back Tuesday. We're going to be talking Tuesday with Joe Cirincioni, foreign policy guru and former head of the Plowshares uh, Institute, uh, about where the war in Ukraine is right now. What about uh, Vladimir Putin still threatening to possibly use nuclear weapons? And to get Joe's take on the prisoner exchange between Brittany, Brittany Kreiner uh, and also uh, Victor Boot. And we'll also talk to him. He just got back from Israel uh, back about what we can expect from the new right-wing government led by Bibi Netanyahu. All of that coming up Tuesday. On the next edition of the Bill Press Pod, we'll see you then. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 